Our reading from God's word now is from Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Praise be to God for his word. Good morning. Uh, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ollie. Uh, we had the pleasure of attending St. Stephen's, as Bryce said, for about two and a half, three years. And so uh, it's a great blessing to be back here this morning, uh, sharing fellowship with you as we come together to worship God. As we begin, I'm going to thank God for the time we've got and thank God for his word. So let's pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us powerfully through your word. We ask now that uh, we might hear what you have to say that our hearts might be open and we might be encouraged as we need it and challenged as we need it. And so we pray that uh, you might open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to what your word has to say. We pray that it might be food for our souls and a light for our feet. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's the 30th of December today. And so what does that mean for tomorrow? Well, it's the end of the year, isn't it? It's the final day of 2018, and then it's into 2019. And so I wonder, thinking back on the year just gone by, the year about to end, what has characterised the year for you? What has characterised 2018 for you? Uh, for me, I was thinking about it, and this year has been characterised as a year of firsts. And so uh, for me, so my wife and I, Cassie, we moved down to Geelong. So it was the first time living outside of Melbourne. And while it's uh, been nice to be near the beach, uh, it feels a little bit weird when it turns into a ghost town after 5pm. And I reckon we haven't had uh, decent Chinese food all year. But nevertheless, first time living outside of Melbourne. Uh, it's also been a first in that uh, this is the first time that I haven't been ashamed to tell people that I go for Melbourne in the football. Uh, up until now, we've been a basket case, we've been the laughing stock of the AFL. But now, this year, we made the finals and we won some finals. And so it was the first time I had that weird feeling of being happy to tell people that I go for Melbourne. Uh, it's also been a year first in that this has been the first year that I've been under a genuinely manly minister. And so up until now, uh, this is what I've had to put up with and <laughs> deal with. And so uh, a, man, a minister that loves to tell everyone how manly he is, but then goes around sipping lattes, uh, making sure his hair is always styled perfectly. But do you know what I've been under this year? This has been my minister this year. Check it out. That has been my minister. That is a genuinely manly minister. He's got arms the size of my legs. Uh, he rides around on a Harley Davidson. Uh, this is a little bit of an old photo, but he's got tats up and down his arms. So basically, to me, that seems to be what John kind of thinks of himself as, <laughs> even though it's not actually what he is. And so uh, for me, it's been a year of firsts. 
And I wonder, thinking back on the year gone by, what characterised it for you? Now, for some of us, it might have been characterised by joy and happiness. Uh, We might have finished uni, gone and got a job and started working. Uh, We might have started dating someone or got engaged or even got married. We might have had a new baby born into a family, a new nephew, a new niece, a new son, a new daughter, a new grandchild. For some of us, the year might have been characterised with joy and happiness. But for others, 2018 might have been characterised by pain and suffering. Uh, We might might have been characterised by adversity. Uh, Maybe we struggled at uni or school. We just struggled to learn what it was the teachers wanted us to learn. We struggled with assignments and exams. Or maybe you were diagnosed with an unexpected illness and so 2018 has just felt like an endless cycle of doctor's appointments and hospital visits. Or maybe you lost someone dear to you. Maybe for some of us, 2018 was characterised by adversity and suffering. Reflecting on the year, what was it characterised by? And of course, the end of one year means the beginning of a new year. So looking forward, as we look forward to 2019, we have to reflect on it. What will 2019 be characterised for by us? What will 2019 be like for us? I mean, I'm sure we all hope that it will be characterised by uh, prosperity and joy. We hope we get top marks in our studies, our marriages and relationships stay strong and healthy, our kids succeed in everything they do. I'm sure we hope that 2019 will be characterised by success. But of course, We don't know if that'll be the case. We don't know if that's what 2019 will be like. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will be better than we expected. But maybe it will be way, way worse than we expect. See, ultimately, we don't know what the year ahead is going to be characterised by. But what we see as we look at Psalm 130, which we're looking at today, we see that amid all that uncertainty, amid the unsureness of what 2019 will hold for us, what it will be characterised for us, we see that there is one thing that underlies it all, one certainty that goes underneath all of the uncertainties. See, Psalm 130 tells us what 2019 will be characterised by. And so it tells us our need is great. But it tells us that um, we don't need to lose heart. Even though in 2019 our need will be great, our hope will be greater. And that's because God's love is the greatest. That's what we see as we look through Psalm 130. And so the first thing we're told is that our need will be great. Now, to many of us that might not feel like it, we sit here and we don't feel like we have much need. We've got, good, we've got a good job, we've got loving family and friends, we've always got food, we've always got shelter, we've always got clothes. If we want something, we can go and buy something. So it might not feel like we're going to be in need in 2019. But one, Psalm 130 reminds us that underlying all that surface, underlying that is a deeper need a need that underlies it all. And that need comes from sin. And so what we see is the psalmist, he's calling out, he realises this, and so he cries out to God from the depths. Have a look at the first three verses. Out of the depth I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. 
If you, Lord, kept a record of sin, Lord, who could stand? See, the psalmist, he calls out to God. He calls out from the depth. And now, uh, in the English, the word depth doesn't hold much weight. But in the Hebrew, the word for depth holds a lot of weight. So what it usually refers to is the ocean or water. And so it's calling out from the depth of the water. And in Israelite culture, uh, the ocean was a fearful place. It was a horrifying place because most people couldn't swim. Their boats weren't the boats we have today. And so the ocean was seen as a chaotic, dangerous place. Now, I don't know if you've ever been near someone or with someone when they started drowning. Um, I have, and it was a horrifying experience. And so I was with a few friends and we were um, at this big lake and we were, one of our friends, one of the guys there, couldn't swim or couldn't swim well. And um, for some stupid reason, I don't know why we did it, but we convinced him to hop in and try and swim across the lake with us. Uh, it wasn't a smart move, but we were young and stupid, so we convinced him to do it. And so he hopped in with us and we started swimming across this big lake. Uh, everything was kind of going okay as he was swimming forward, as he had lots of momentum taking him forward. Uh, but what happened was he got about a third of the way in, he started kind of running out of energy, and so he decided he wanted to turn and head back to the shore. So he stopped and started trying to spin around to swim back. But of course, as soon as he stopped moving forward, he lost momentum and started sinking. This, of course, caused him to panic, so he started sinking more, sinking more, sinking more. I turned around and saw what was happening, and so I swam over to try and help him. And do you know what happened? When people are drowning, they start panicking. And so they'll do anything they can to keep their own head above water. So do you know what he did? He grabbed me and pushed me under the water to hold his own head above the water. And so it was quite an incredible experience. You could see the look of panic in his eyes, the flailing of limbs, the water splashing all over the place as he was desperately trying to keep his head above water. And so to cut a long story short, we managed to eventually get me out from underneath him and we swam him back into water. But it was burned into my mind what it looks like to see someone when they're drowning. And so if that's the, the picture of the depth, that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying he's calling out with the horror, with the fear, with the panic of someone who's sinking under the water, someone who's sinking, dying. That's the despair, that's the depth that he's calling out from. Well, why would, what would cause such incredible despair? What would cause that? Well, verse 3, it's sin. He knows that he can't stand before God. Uh, we've just had Christmas, and so we've, um, we hear all over the place, Santa making his list of who's naughty and nice. And so the psalmist says, if God was like that, if God made a list of who's naughty and nice, of who's good and who's bad, if that was what God was like, then no one would be on the good side. No one would be on God's good list. I wouldn't be on there. You wouldn't be on there. No one here would be on there. No one can stand before God if God made a list. Now, I don't know about you, if I, but for me, if I'm honest, I find that quite difficult to accept. I like to think of myself as a good person, so I love to I always hold doors open for people as they go through. I always obey the speed limit. I always stop so that there's space over keep clear signs. I've never murdered anyone. So I like to think of myself as a good person. And I wonder if you're the same. 
But as I was reflecting on it, I did a little exercise, and I, I thought about it. Every single day, I've done at least one bad thing, one thing that I shouldn't have done. Now, I've probably done way more than that, but let's just say that it's one. That means that in a year, that's 365 bad things I've done in a year. I'm currently almost 32. So do you know how many bad things that means I've done in my life? At least 11,680. If every day I've only done one bad thing, that means for my life I've done 11,680 bad things. And so when I think about it like that, it's like, that is fair enough, like I'm not a good person. If God made a list, then I would be on the bad side because there's 11,680 things that he's got to think I've done. And so I wonder, if you were to do the same exercise, how many you'd come up with? See, none of us can stand before God. Our need is so great. If God was to make a list, none of us would be on the good side. Our need is so great. Now, uh, you might be saying, sure, okay, you've convinced me that uh, I've done lots of bad things and that maybe I couldn't stand before God. If God was to make a list of good people, I wouldn't be on there. But ultimately, so what? Who cares if I'm not on God's good side? Why would that cause me such incredible despair, the despair of someone who's sinking and drowning and dying? Well, it's because God is the source of every good thing. God is the source of all goodness in the world. The tinkle of joy that we get from holding hands with a loved one. The smile of pleasure that kind of creeps onto our face as we're hanging out with friends. The feeling of wonder we get when we look at nature and we look around us. All of that goodness comes from God. God's the source of everything. And so without God, if we're not in God's presence, then all of that goodness is gone. We're blocked off, we're separated from that goodness by our sin. So without God, there's no goodness, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no love. God is the source of all goodness, and so that's why we need to be with God, that's why we need to be in God's presence. But our need is so great because sin separates us, sin stops us from being with this God who gives goodness. Our need is so great. And so it seems so hopeless if that's all there was, if that's where it finished, then we might look at the year ahead, we might look at 2019 and think, well, what's the point? Where's the hope there for 2019 if we're so separated from God, if we're so needy before God, then we might as well just give up. If that's all there was, then that would be true, that should be what we do. But that's not all there is, because what we see as Psalm 130 continues is that even though our need is great, our hope is greater because even though we don't deserve mercy or forgiveness, still God gives it. Have a look at verse 4. But with you, there's forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. See, in God, we can have forgiveness, even though we don't deserve it. We can still have forgiveness and mercy, then that's what gives us hope. Because did you notice what he says next? Have a look at verse 5. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. So the psalmist says he's going to wait on God. He's going to wait for the forgiveness that God gives. He's going to wait with hope, waiting for the forgiveness that he knows is coming. He's going to put everything, it's his whole being, everything he is, everything he'll ever be, everything he was, everything he casted on God, waiting for God, waiting for God's mercy, waiting with hope. 
And did you notice in particular what it is that gives him hope? No, he hopes in God's Word. He hopes in the Bible. And so you might say, well, that's a funny thing to hope in. Why is that what, would, what someone would put their hope in? Well, it's because the Bible is what tells us about God. And one of the things it tells us about God is that God offers forgiveness. So I did an exercise and I counted up how many times the Bible talks about God giving forgiveness. And do you know what it was? How many times the Bible talks about it? It's a bit of a trick question because I kind of gave up partway through. I gave up because it was way too many. So way over 100 times, over 100 times, the Bible says that God is the one that gives forgiveness. And that's purely just on the word forgiveness alone. It's not, talking, it's not including things like redemption or propitiation or justification or any of the other similar kind of linked words. Just with the idea of God giving forgiveness, the Bible says it over a hundred times. Over a hundred times, God is the one who forgives. And so it's no wonder that that's what the psalmist puts his hope in. It's no wonder that that's what we're meant to put our hope in, put our hope in the Bible, because the Bible tells us over a hundred times, God is the one that forgives. So even though our need is great, our hope is greater. And so we wait, as we wait for the forgiveness. And did you notice how it is that we're meant to wait? Have a look at verse 6. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. See, we wait with the hope of a watchman waiting for the morning to come. And so what kind of hope is that? Well, it's a certain hope. I don't know if you've ever realised, but there's never been a night that was not then followed by a morning. Every single night for the whole of existence has had a morning that has followed up. The morning always comes after night. And so the watchman, while he's sitting there waiting, knows that morning is coming. There's certainty that morning will come. And in the same way, there's certainty that forgiveness will come. And so we wait like a watchman. Now, that uh, picture of a watchman, we don't kind of experience that much anymore, but I was talking to, a, um, talking to a friend, a father of a um, former SAS soldier, and he was telling me about, um, about this story with his son. So one day, he got a call from his son, and do you know what his son said to him? Dad, it's 4 a.m. here. I'm sitting on a mountaintop watching a camp of the Taliban. And his dad kind of responded, well, why are you doing that, son? Why are you doing that at 4 a.m. in the morning? And his son said, well, that's, Dad, that's because that's when they attack. They attack at the morning. And so his son was sitting there on a mountaintop watching to see where the surprise attack was coming. Imagine that. Imagine sitting there in the cold, 4 a.m. morning, all by yourself, watching, keeping an eye on enemies who would happily torture and then kill you, fighting to keep your eyes open, fighting to keep the weariness out just desperately waiting for the sun to poke its head up over the mountain and shine down, waiting to the time where you can pack up and head back to safety. That's how we're to wait. We're to wait like a watchman waiting for the morning. But it's not a hopeless wait, it's a certain wait because we know morning will come. And in the same way, we know that forgiveness will come. God is the one that forgives. And so even though our need is great, our hope is even greater and so we wait for it, certain it will come. But how can we be so certain? Why can we be certain? Well, it's because God's love is the greatest, even though our, hope, even though our need is great, 
Our hope is greater because God's love is the greatest. God's love is unfailing. Have a look at verses 7 and 8. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. See, God's love is unfailing. Imagine that. That's what we all desire, isn't it? A love that's unfailing. We, I mean, in our lives, we love other people and we want to receive love back. But unfortunately, our love is faulty. Uh, Now, I know this is a little bit uh, soppy and I probably shouldn't be sharing this, but I'm going to share it anyway. Um, I will often tell Cassie that I love her the maximum amount it's possible to love someone. And so I say to her, I love you the maximum amount possible. But even loving someone the maximum amount possible... Sometimes my love fails. And so sometimes I'm lazy and even though I see the dishes sitting there on the bench, I don't clean them. Uh, Sometimes I'm tired and so even though I know the bin needs to be emptied, I don't empty it. And so Cassie needs to empty it and gets the bin juice all over her feet and hands. Uh, Sometimes I'm tired from a long day at college and so all I want to do is kind of sit on the couch and zone out, even though I know that Cassie wants to talk. See, even though I love her so much, My love is not unfailing. My love still fails. But God's love is different. God's love never fails us. God's love never lets us down. It's a love that will never be too tired to love us. It's a love that will never be too selfish to love us. It's a love that will never be too bored of us to love us. It's a love that's unfailing, a love that will never let us down. God's love is the greatest love, an unfailing love. And so then, how does God show that love? Well, it's through redemption. Now, uh, it's a word we don't really use much in, um, in English anymore, but all it means is to buy something back. So if I want to buy something and I can't afford it, I can take my watch to cash converters, I can give them my watch and they give me money. I can go and do whatever it is I need to do with that money. And then when I save up enough money, I can go back to cash converters, I can give them money back and they'll give my watch back. That's redeeming my watch back. It just means to give a payment to buy something back. But of course, in Bible times, it was uh, even bigger than that because people could redeem slaves. So if someone was a slave, you could go and pay a price and you would redeem them from slavery. You could buy their freedom. And so that's similar to what's going on here. God's redemption is buying us from slavery to sin. We're under it, owned by that 11,680 sins we've done, owned by the sins we've committed, unable to possibly pay for it ourselves, unable to pay the redemption cost ourselves, and God comes along and pays it for us. See, that's what God's love leads to, him paying the price for us. But of course, the thing with redemption is that there's always cost associated. And so when I'm buying my watch back, I have to give money for that watch. If someone's buying the the freedom of a slave, they have to give gold or silver for that slave. There's always a cost associated with redemption. So the question is then, what's the cost associated with our redemption? What's the cost that God pays for our freedom? That's the incredible thing about God's love. The price that he pays is his own life, the life of his own son. He sends Jesus down to pay the price for us. And so I found this um, good quote from a guy called Billy Graham, who's a famous evangelist, and this is what he says. God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung and bled and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. 
that's how God paid the redemption price. That's how much, that's how we know that God loves us so much because he took the payment on himself. He came and lived and died for us so that we could be paid for, free from slavery, redeemed from slavery, set free. And so that's why we have such a hope because God's love is the greatest. See, even though we don't deserve it, even though we don't deserve mercy, still God redeems us. And that's the heart of the Christian message. That's the heart. Psalm 130 tells us this is the Christian message. And so as we start a new year, it's worth pausing and reflecting on that. It's helpful to remember, is this how we're living our lives? And so for some of us, this might be new. But I suspect for many of us, this is not a new message. It's a great message. It's an encouraging message that Psalm 130 tells us, but it's not a new message. And so what the new year gives us though, it's a chance to pause and reflect, to look back at the year just gone by and to move forward to the year ahead. So to look back on the year gone by and think, is this what's governed our lives? Have our lives been governed by the wonderful hope that Psalm 130 reminds us about? If, what do you think? If we were to ask someone, if we were to ask our friends or family or work colleagues, are we people who are characterised by hope, by the hope of the gospel? What do you think they'd say? Would they say yes? That's what they're known for. They're known as someone who's filled with hope, the hope that comes from God's love. Is that what they'd say? Or would they say something else? See, as we come to the end of a year, it's worth reflecting back on the year we've just had and thinking, what do our lives say about us? And of course, then as we move forward to the year ahead, it's worth thinking, how will we go about that this year? How will we make sure that this year is a year where we're known and characterised by the hope of the gospel, by the hope that comes from God's great love? Can I encourage you, as we move towards the new year, to spend some time either today or tomorrow or over the next few days, pausing and reflecting and praying, asking God to help that this year would be characterised by the hope of the Christian message. And so, as we close, I want to share with you a story about my, um, about my nana. Uh, we saw her on Christmas, on Tuesday, um, for Christmas, which is great. I don't get to see her that often. And so, it was great to be with her. Um, I'll show you a photo of her. So, uh, that's my nana there. So, um, I like that photo. One, because it makes me look like a giant. Um, and two, because it just reminds me that even though she's such a, so small in stature, she's so big in hope. She's so big in her faith. And so I was chatting with her and just kind of um, basking in, in her presence. And as I was, I was looking at her and thinking about her. It would be so easy for her to have lost hope. So she's 97, almost 98. She's got two leaking heart valves. She basically can't walk without one of those uh, wheeling walkers. Uh, her husband is dead, sadly. She's basically almost housebound, so I reckon um, Tuesday for Christmas would be one of a handful of times, other than going to the doctors, one of a handful of times she would have been out of her house all year. And she literally could almost die at any moment. And so it's easy to look at someone like that and think, how does someone like that have hope? How does someone like that keep living with hope? It would be so easy to just give up on life and to give up with hope, give up on hope. But instead, she's the opposite. She's someone that radiates hope. When you talk to her, she, you just feel the hope coming off her. 
So I was talking to her about, um, about death, as you do um, when you're old, and so we are talking about death. And as we did, her eyes started kind of tearing up. Not because she was scared of death, but because she couldn't wait to meet Jesus, her Lord and Saviour. You could just feel the hope. She couldn't wait to meet the one who paid the redemption price for her. To meet the one who bought her freedom from slavery to sin. And so you could feel the hope coming off her. Uh, as I was talking to her, um, she mentioned at least five people that she's actively sharing the gospel with and praying for that they might be saved. It's incredible, someone who's housebound is actively sharing the gospel with five, at least five people and praying for them. Why? It's because of the hope, the hope that comes from the great love. Again, as I was talking to her, she kept saying this same phrase over and over again, that she's walking with the Lord. She's focusing on walking with the Lord. She's walking with the Lord. She kept saying it over and over again. I reckon in her time I was talking to her, she probably would have said it at least 10 times. She's walking with the Lord. See, this is someone who's caught the idea, the hope of the gospel, the hope that comes from God's great love. And so as I was talking to her and as I was thinking about it, Afterwards, I thought to myself, that's what I want to be like this year. I want to be someone that when other people talk to me, they just feel the hope radiating off me. The hope of the gospel, the hope that comes from God's great love. And so as we come to a new year, it gives us a time to stop and to think. To think back at the year gone by and to look forward to the year ahead. And so we need to answer that question, what will 2019 be characterised by for us? What's well, my prayer that it's the great hope that comes from God's great love that would be what characterises 2019 for us. And so I'm going to pray and ask God that that would be the case. Let's pray.